First of all, I want to thank the Lord for salvation, for all His wonderful blessings. I want to thank Him this evening for my beautiful wife and my children and their love and support. I want to tell this church that uh, I'm truly humbled to stand before you. I don't feel remotely qualified any time that I stand, but uh, I just want to thank you for your uh, love and support and for your prayers, and uh, just pray that the Lord will be glorified in this humble attempt to stand and present this lesson. Uh, if you'd like to read along with me, we're going to read out of the book of Hosea. The topic that was uh, given, along with this book, is Sin Starts at Home. I'll read a little bit from Hosea, and then we'll give uh, some background and get into our lesson. Hosea 1, 2 through 9 says, The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, and the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms, and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Loruhamah, for I will have no more mercy. I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. And when she had weaned Loruhamah, she conceived and bare a son. Then said God, Call his name Loami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. That's the second uh, through the ninth verses of the first chapter of Hosea. And this book was uh, written in about 715 B.C. And Hosea is the author of the book, and uh, this name is Hebrew, and it means salvation. And Hosea began his ministry uh, during the reign of Jeroboam II. And at the time, the northern kingdom had prospered as far as material wealth, uh, but we had started to see a moral decline within that kingdom. And this book was written, of course, to the people of Israel and specifically to that northern kingdom. And if we look at the, the overall book, where we see that uh, just as, as many books of the Bible, it was written to show God's love for His sinful people. right? And that's kind of what we see throughout the gospel in general. But uh, uh, this book, and the Lord of, was displeased with the unfaithful behavior of His people. And the Lord takes this marriage and the story of an unfaithful wife uh, to point out the sin and the idolatry of His people. If we look at the book, it's broken into a couple of different sections. And um, if we look at the 4th through the 14th verses, uh, they discuss Israel's sinfulness. And they discuss the punishment that occurs due to this sinfulness. And they conclude with God showing His love for His people even after they've sinned, even after they have, have turned away from Him. If we look at the first three chapters, we can see that it talks about this relationship, this marriage relationship between this husband and wife, between Hosea and Gomer. And uh, the problems that occur in this marriage because of the unfaithful behavior of Gomer, Hosea's wife. If we look at the beginning of the first chapter, uh, the Lord's talking with Hosea. And the Lord tells Hosea that he's to find a wife. But Hosea is warned, he's told by the Lord that this wife that he finds would be unfaithful to him. And he's told by the Lord that his unfaithful wife would then go on to bear 
children. So Hosea marries Gomer. And just as the Lord has said, she's unfaithful to that marriage, to that relationship. And then she goes on to bear these children. And when each of these three children are born, the Lord tells Hosea uh, what their names are going to be. He reveals to them, as we see other times in Scripture, He reveals to them what their names are going to be. And if we look at the names of these three children, we see that they're a reflection of this relationship between the Lord and His people. As we read in our Scripture, uh, as we read, Hosea's first child was a son named Jezreel, which means scattered by God. And his second child was a daughter named Loruhama, which means hath not obtained mercy. And Hosea's third child was another son, who the Lord named Loami, which means not my people. So God, who's uh, Gomer, I'm sorry, who is representative of the people of God, is unfaithful to this relationship with Hosea, who of course represents the Lord. And each child's name, as we look at these names, represents a gradual movement of God's people away from Him, to the point that the Lord is saying, they are not even my children anymore. What a sad situation that is. To see that God's people had turned so far from Him that He didn't even want to claim them as His own. And as we talk about the book of Hosea, we'll see this comparison of this unfaithful marriage and we'll see the impact that it has on these future generations. And as I mentioned earlier from the context of the book of Hosea, the the topic that was chosen was sin starts at home. So we're going to discuss sin. We're going to discuss sin outside the home. We're going to discuss sin inside the home. And we're going to see how this sin affects our marriages. How it affects our families. And most important, how that sin then affects future generations. As it did in this book. As we talk for a minute... Uh, Probably a few times you'll hear me use the words external sin and internal sin. And when I use those terms, I'm just talking about sin. And when I say external, it's sin that is outside of the home. And internal sin is sin that occurs within the home. Also, I'm going to compare at times uh, the Christian home and family life to the physical structure that we see within a home. So we'll discuss external threats to the home, meaning those that try to come in from the outside versus internal threats, meaning those that occur within our homes. Well, if we're going to talk about sin starts at home, let's first talk for just a minute about sin. And much of this, I'm sure, will be a, uh, 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 not new to you guys. But in the Scripture, we see that Gomer, uh, the wife of Hosea, of course, struggled with sin. And as we've said, she struggled especially with sexual sin. We see that she struggled with infidelity, she struggled with a, a fornication, and these are very serious sins that we need to, those of us that are in relationships, those of us that are uh, married, especially we need to be thoughtful of, we need to be cautious of, but let's, let's not lose sight of the fact that we all struggle with sin. In the third chapter of Romans, we're told that there is none righteous, no, not one, And in that same chapter, Paul says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So even those of us that have been saved by the grace of God, those of us that are God's people, uh, we struggle with sin just as we see uh, the people of Israel struggle with sin in this book. We know that we're living in weak, sinful flesh and we're residing in a wicked and sinful world. We can look to the third chapter of Genesis and we see sin enters the world and uh, we know that man has been faced with sin and man has, man has struggled to live within this sinful, wicked world ever since this sin entered the world. Genesis 3, 6 and 7 says, She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Of course, this is the moment that sin entered the world. 
And as we said, our human flesh struggles with sin. We're naturally drawn to that sin, that sinful behavior, uh, like a moth to a flame. And if we look around, we can see that our country and our world is growing more wicked by the day. We know that the devil is constantly looking for followers, people to follow after him. And we know that the devil is constantly looking to turn God's people away from their focus on Him, on the Lord, and toward the world, toward the devil. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We've been very blessed in our country that we were founded on Christian principles. And throughout our history, the majority of the U.S. population has claimed to be Christian. And even those uh, in the past that may not have attended church seem to attempt to live their lives on biblical principles. But we can see and we likely know that that has changed over the years. In 1990, 85% of the U.S. population identified themselves as Christian. Now, we can all agree that all of that 85% were not likely saved by the grace of God. But they at least claimed to be Christian and attempted, again, to live their lives based on Christian values. Another survey was done in 2019, and that percentage had dropped to 65% of people that claimed to be Christian. So over a period of 30 years, the percentage of the people and the U.S. claiming to be Christian had dropped by 20%. Not only has the percentage of people claiming to be Christian declined over the years, um, in many cases it's even become uh, the cool thing, or the end thing, if you want to say, to say that you are not a Christian. And to intentionally live a life that is completely contrary to godly principles. If you look around, it doesn't take long to see this anti-Christian agenda being pushed in the media, in our schools, in our workplaces, and unfortunately even in some places that call themselves churches. Seems to be growing worse by the day. And in his letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul wrote about a battle that was occurring. And this same battle is the battle that we are fighting today. Ephesians 6 and 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And in his second letter to Timothy, Paul warned about what was to come. He says, In the last days perilous times shall come, for men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. I don't know about you, but if we look at this scripture and compare the things that are occurring in our world today, it makes me wonder how much longer that time will continue. As I've said, there's already a lot of sin in our world. Let's talk for just a moment. We're going to talk about sin starts at home, but let's talk for just a moment about external sin. As I said, I'm referring to the sin that takes place outside of our homes, out in the world. We know that there's things that occur outside of our homes that are threats to our homes. These things can damage our homes if our homes are not protected. If we look at the physical structures and we look at the external physical forces such as wind and rain and sleet and snow and hail and even large storms like tornadoes as we've seen in our community, they can no doubt cause extensive damage to our home if we're not ready for them. As we think about these storms pelting the roof and the siding and the windows with wind and rain and snow and ice and maybe flooding, we have to ask ourselves if our homes are protected. Is our roof in good shape or are there leaks? Are the windows shut? Are they... The shutter's closed. Is the siding intact? Is the front door locked? Right? These are questions that we ask ourselves when we're thinking about the protection of our physical home. 
And just as our physical home is affected by external threats, our spiritual home, our our Christian homes, are susceptible to external sin and the damage that it can cause. External sins are threats to our Christian values and our Christian way of life. They're threats to us and even more concerning to future generations. These external storms attempt to keep the lost as far from the Lord as possible. For those of us that know the Lord, these external sins and storms attempt to beat us down and pull us away from the Lord. And at times, even as God God called ministers, even as God saved people, as Christians we can become numb to the sin that is occurring around us, out in the world. But we know that this external sin out in the world has an influence, influence on us as we're influenced by the things that we come into contact with, whether they be positive or negative. Right? Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. And Proverbs 13 and 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. All the people and all the situations that we encounter in our lives have an influence on us and on our children and on our homes. Our children are influenced by school, by, at school by their teachers and by their counselors. They're influenced by their coaches and their mentors. They're influenced by church members. They're influenced by Sunday school teachers. They're influenced by preachers and pastors. They're influenced by the friends that they spend time with. They're influenced by the educational material in our schools that are supposed to be educating them on subjects such as math and science and history. And unfortunately, I'm sure that you guys have seen that there are times that this anti-Christian agenda has infiltrated even our schools, right? It started at the higher education level, and in some cases it has even worked its way into the elementary school level. Our children are influenced by the people that they are around outside of our homes. They're influenced by the media that they encounter outside of our homes. They're influenced by how those people talk and what they watch and what they listen to and what they post on social media. And all these external influences are threats to our Christian homes. Unfortunately, we've even had times in recent uh, recent years when our own government has been a threat to our Christian way of life. We've seen anti-Christian laws being put in place by our government in recent past. And these things have an effect on our lives and our homes. All the people and situations we come into contact with outside of our homes influence us. They shape us and they shape our children. And we must do our best to protect ourselves and our children from the sinful things that we and they will encounter outside of our homes We must prepare ourselves and our children to fight against them. Paul says in Ephesians 6 and 11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We must protect ourselves and our children to go out into the world knowing that we and they will encounter sin. But we must also, even more importantly, be on guard to protect the inside of our homes from the threats of sin and the effects of the devil. The devil is not only working out in the world, but the devil will work hard to try to infiltrate our own homes with sin and our own marriages with sin, just like he did the marriage of Hosea and Gomer that we read about. And the sin within our homes affects our children, just as the sin of Hosea, the children of Hosea and Gomer were affected. So let's ask ourselves, we talked about protecting the outside of our home, but let's ask ourselves, are we protecting the inside of our home? Sometimes I think we're so focused on maintaining and protecting the outside of our homes that we forget about the maintenance and protection that we must take within our homes against the devil. 
Have we built our home on the right foundation? Number one. Number one. That's where we must start. Are the floors level? Are the plumbing and electrical up to code? Because if we protect ourselves from the external storms and the external threats, but we don't protect and maintain our homes from the inside, they will fall. Like we said, we're influenced by the things that occur outside our homes, but what happens within our homes is our greatest influence and the greatest influence on our children. Research shows us that parents and home life are the biggest influencer on our children, on those future generations. And these internal influences, whether positive or negative, whether godly or worldly, will affect the rest of our lives and will affect the rest of their lives. Where do we learn about how to live? Where do we learn about what's important? Where do we learn about marriage? Where do we learn about being a good spouse? Where do we learn about being a good friend? Where do we learn about being a good employee? Where do we learn about being a good Christian? Now don't get me wrong, we can fail with the best home life or succeed with the worst home life. Right? We can see that in, uh, in the testimonies of some people, right? But we are more likely to succeed and our children are much more likely to succeed spiritually if they have a stable home that's built on a firm foundation and maintained in a godly manner. Our kids look at how we live. They listen to how we talk. They watch what we eat. They watch whether or not we exercise. They look at how we interact with our spouse and with our other children. They look at the things that we do, but they also take notice of the things that we don't do. They take notice of the sin in our lives or the absence or minimal, minimal amount of sin, if you, if you will. They're always watching and listening, even when we think they aren't. And for those of you that have children like me, oftentimes when we think they're not listening is the times that they're listening most intently. Oftentimes when we think they're not watching are the times they're watching most intently. As parents, we're the first role models for those in our homes. And let's talk for just a minute about what is that structure of a Christian home. First of all, a faithful marriage between a man and a woman who have been saved by the grace of God. These two individuals enter into the covenant of marriage and then move in together. And after marriage and establishing a home, maybe the Lord blesses them with children. And they do their best to model their marriage the upbringing of their children in all aspects of their lives on biblical principles by focusing their lives on the Lord and minimizing the sin in their home. As I said earlier, we all have sinned and we all come short of the glory of God. We all struggle with sin, but we must do our best to resist the sinful behavior that is within us. The life of Christ in the Holy Scriptures should be the model that we strive to live by. If we look at the Scriptures, we can see that the Lord laid, lays out for us a model of Christian marriage as well as Christian parenting. We can find Scripture in both Old Testament and New Testament that talk, talk about maintaining a home that the Lord is pleased with. If we look in the letter of Colossians, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. There's plenty of other scriptures, and we referenced a few others that you can look back at if you'd like. I'm not going to read, but for time's sake, if you'd like to look back at uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. That biblical model of marriage. A Christian home involves a mother and father not only providing a Christian model of marriage, but also providing a Christian model of parenting in a way that's modeled after the Scriptures. Providing discipline when needed. 
Proverbs 13 and 24 says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth, loveth his son chasteneth him betimes. And teaching kids about the Lord and church and prayer and educating them on the Holy Scriptures. As I said, our children are watching everything that we do and listening to everything that we say. They're watching the good and the bad, the godly and the sinful. They're paying attention to the sins that we commit. They're paying attention to the sinful ways, uh, the, sin, the, the ways that we uh, sin, uh, sin of omission. I'm, I'm getting tripped up, but I'll just, we'll just go that direction. They're paying attention to the ways that we're, the things that we're not doing as far as the leadership of the Lord. Of course, sins of commission are sins that we commit willingly by uh, performing an action that's sinful. And sins of omission are sins that we commit by not performing an action that we're called to perform by the Lord therefore becoming sinful by that lack of action. We know that as far as sins of commission, there's, there's many. There's a, a long laundry list if we look in the Scriptures. These sins can be very egregious, such as murder and abuse and, and drug use. We can see sexual sins that are discussed in our story of Hosea and Gomer, specifically adultery and fornication. We can see... Sins of commission that appear less egregious, yet sinful, such as lying and cheating. I want to make a specific mention of a couple of sins that seem to dominate the world and the news today, which are abortion and homosexuality or the transgender movement. There are a lot of different sins in our world today, and these two seem to be not only being committed, but by some seem to be praised. Even though the Lord is not pleased with these things, some men and women think that these things are honorable and worthy of praise. And as we saw from our scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that was referenced earlier, it tells us about some of these sins that will occur in the last days. The Apostle John writes about sin in his letter of 1 John. 1 John 2 and 15 to 16 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And of course, the Lord spells out many of these sins of commission that we're referencing in in the book of Exodus as He hands down the Ten Commandments to Moses and the Israelites. As I said, I've referenced some other scriptures if you'd like to look back at them. We've talked for a minute about some ways that we commit sin. I also want to talk for a minute about sins of omission. It's sin that occurs when we fail to do something that the Lord has called us to do. James 4 and 17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. This type of sin often does not appear as blatant to the naked eye as some of these other sins, these sins of commission. But it's still sin in the eyes of the Lord, and the Lord is displeased with all sin. And just as the sins of commission, the things that we do, influence our home, the sins of omission, the things that we fail to do, will also have a significant influence on our homes. Our purpose for existing is to be obedient to the Lord and to glorify His name. And these sins occur when we fail to be obedient by our lack of action. Again, this is not all-inclusive, but I want to just touch on a few that the Lord brought to mind and uh, as I studied and, and that I uh, you know, see and, and, and that I've uh, been through in my own life. I'm not proud of it, but uh, uh, but uh, but th- some of these, you know, are condemning also to me. Not seeking the Lord for sal- salvation when we're lost. Once the Holy Spirit has shown us that we're lost, continuing to not seek the Lord for salvation, not truly repenting and placing your faith in the Lord is a sin. It's disobedience. John 3 and 18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
And we can't truly be obedient to the Lord until we are obedient and seeking after Him for salvation. There's a lot of people today that are trying to be, do their best to be obedient to the Lord when they don't even have that foundation. They haven't even sought after Him for the salvation of their soul. We must have a solid foundation on which to build our house, and that solid foundation only comes from Jesus. Matthew 7 and 26-27 says, And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Another thing I want to touch on for just a minute is not uniting with and attending a church. I'm not saying you need to go when you're sick, when you're not able. The Lord understands. The Lord knows. He knows our hearts and He knows what is going on in our lives. But the Lord calls on us to unite with the church after we've been saved by the grace of God. He calls on us to assemble with that church and to worship with those brothers and sisters, to gather together, to assemble with them. Hebrews 10 and 25 says, Not forsaking the the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is. He has a desire for us to be a part of His bride, the church, and to spend time with these other men and women of God in worship. Another thing that we do is fail to spend time in His Word. God gave us His Word and He has a desire uh, for us to spend time in it so we can learn it, we can learn more about Him, we can then apply it to our lives, and then we can share it with with others those within our home, those within our church, and those out in the world. 2 Timothy 2 and 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now Paul was writing this to Timothy, who was a minister of the gospel, but I believe that this scripture is relevant and applicable to all of God's people. Another thing that we do that our children take notice of or that we don't do that our children take notice of is not spending time with the Lord in prayer. I've heard stories, and I'm sure you have as well, of men and women that talk about their parents and their grandparents, and they talk about hearing them pour their heart out to the Lord in prayer for their salvation Uh, for their guidance, uh, for all aspects of their lives, and that had an impact on them. That was a wonderful example set to them, so that as they got to the point where they needed to be saved, they had heard the prayers of their, their, their grandparents and their parents. They had heard the prayers of God's people. They knew how to seek after the Lord for salvation because they had heard it. They knew how to go to the Lord for guidance because they had heard it. They knew how to go to the Lord seeking strength, uh, seeking repentance, all the things that we need. They had heard it. Philippians 4 and 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Another one that hits home to me as a father is not religiously educating your children. Not teaching them about the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 6 6-9 says, And these these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. As I said, this isn't an exhaustive list. But I want to talk about one more that's a little more general. 
that's not following the leadership of the Lord in whatever way He is leading, our children take notice. As I said earlier, our purpose is to be obedient to the Lord and and listen to Him as we seek after Him for salvation, but that is just the beginning. Then we should seek after Him for guidance, and when He provides that guidance, we must follow wherever He leads. The Lord calls each of us to do different things. Whether it's to do mission work overseas, whether it's being called into the ministry, whether it's teaching a Sunday school class, or maybe it's showing up and just being a faithful, strong member of a church, or countless other things that He could call us to do. He desires our obedience. 1 Samuel 15 and 22 says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. We need to remember that the Lord doesn't need anything from us, but He desires our obedience. So we've talked about sin and sin outside of the home and influence outside of the home. Talked about sin a little bit inside of the home and its influence. Sins of commission and sins of omission. Let's talk for a minute about what happens when we do sin. The punishment. When we are disobedient and we, we sin, we face punishment and, and or chastisement from the Lord. Our houses will suffer damage from the storms. They'll suffer effects of the sin that is occurring. They will suffer effects from the sin that's occurring outside of the home that bombards the home if we don't protect it. And they'll suffer effects even greater from the sin that is within the home. The effects of the sin within our home are likely even far more reaching. If we look at the second chapter of Hosea, we can see the repercussions of the sin that was committed by Gomer, the unfaithful wife. The sexual sins that she committed affected her family and her marriage, which led then to the collapse of the family as the marriage ended in divorce. And the children were affected by the sin. For time's sake, I'm not going to read that second chapter, but I want to urge you when you have a, a minute to look, uh, uh, to look to that. Go back and, uh, and look at that. Sin so often starts at home. And the repercussions, the punishment of these sins within our homes is the breakdown of our marriages and our families and those of us that know the Lord growing further apart from Him. And this sin and growing apart from the Lord will affect us now and will have an effect on future generations. And we can see this as we look at the names of the children of Hosea. And the Lord reveals this to Moses and the Israelites when He hands down the commandments to them. Exodus 20 and 5 says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Future generations are affected by the sin in our home. They're affected by the examples that we set. We're affected, our kids are affected, their kids and their kids are affected. We can see the repercussions of this sin in our country today, and unfortunately, in some cases, in our churches today. We're oftentimes frustrated and appalled at the sin outside of our homes, out in the world. But I believe that what we see outside of our homes in the world is a reflection of what, is, of what has occurred within our homes. So what is going on in our world today? As I've said, we are sinful by nature, but our world today, there is so much blatant and intentional sin. Many people today even seem to be proud of the sin that they commit, and in some cases, very intentionally want to mock the Lord and His Word and His people. 
But much of this sin, as we've said, starts at home and unfortunately at times within our Christian homes. Children see the sins of the parents and oftentimes continue down the same path as they follow the example of what we set before them. And before long, the home begins to rot from the inside. And I truly believe that the downfall of our society will likely start or maybe even has already started from the downfall of our homes. It will start likely on the inside and not on the outside. I want to take just a minute to look at some statistics of what's going on in our homes, in our world, in our marriages, in our families, and in our lives because these statistics give us a picture of what's truly going on in our homes and marriages and how these things are affected by what goes on, by the sin that we experience. First, I want to talk for a minute about the marriage rate in the United States. In 1962, the odds of being married by age 40 were over 90%. And that percentage was about the same in 1980. But by 2014, that percentage had dropped to less than 80%. So people are less likely to get married today than they were 40 years ago. They're less likely to enter into that covenant of marriage between themselves, a spouse, and the Lord. They're still entering into relationships. They're still living together. They're still having children, and we'll talk about both of those in a minute, but less people are getting married. How do we have a stable home when you have two people that are living together and having children but are missing that foundational piece of the home? And what does that say to those children? What example is being set. Another statistic that correlates with this decrease in the marriage rate. Not surprisingly, the rate of unmarried couples living together has increased drastically in the last couple of decades. It has nearly tripled in the last 20 years. From 6 million to 17 million. Unwed couples living together outside of that covenant of marriage. Now sometimes couples will say that they're living together before marriage because that will help them to get to know each other better. And will hopefully improve the likelihood of the success if they do decide to get married. But the statistics show quite the opposite. The research shows that couples who have been living together prior to marriage face a 40% increase and the likelihood of divorce versus those that haven't lived together first. Found some interesting statistics on the divorce rate. We've seen a drastic increase in divorce from the 1950s to the 1990s. There was actually a peak in the 1980s. Um, in 1958, there were about 2.1 divorces for every 1,000 people. And we see this jump to 5.2 per 1,000 people in 1980. Now actually, since the 1990s, according to these statistics uh, that I found, we've seen a little bit of a decrease in this number of divorces. But don't get too excited, because that decrease correlates with a decrease in the rate of marriage of the millennial population. In 2017, the divorce rate was 2.9 divorces for every 1,000 people. So it's gone down since the 90s, but less people are getting married. A staggering statistic that I ran across that's alarming and shows the breakdown of the American home is the rate of children being born out of wedlock. The percentage of children being born out of wedlock has increased dramatically from 1964 to 2014 when this study was done. The numbers went from less than 10% of children being born to unwed couples, to about 40% of children being born to unwed couples. Can you believe that 40% of children are born outside of a marriage relationship? So the population has continued to grow. The marriage rate has gone down. The percentage of people living together outside of marriage and percentage of children being born outside of marriage has skyrocketed. 
Another interesting statistic shows that the percentage of married couples that are having kids has decreased. So the people that do have that foundational marriage are having less children. Some other things that we have seen due to sin, we've seen an increase in alcohol and drug abuse, and alcohol and drug-related deaths. Sadly, we've seen a significant increase in suicide in the last 20 years. And what the statistics show is a correlation of the rate of kids being born out of wedlock, the crime rate, the rate of drug use and abuse, and the marriage and divorce rate. When the home is broken down by sin, we see a ripple effect that impacts all areas of society. And it's staggering to see these statistics about what is going on in homes today. We already stated that our homes set the example for our children. What lessons are they learning when they see couples not getting married but living together and having children? And then when some do decide to finally get married, end up getting divorced. We worry so often about the sin that's occurring outside of our homes that we need to be on the lookout for things that can occur within our homes. These future generations look to the home as the example. I've attached some other interesting statistics about reasons for divorce and interesting statistics and sin and its effect. I'm not going to uh, take time to, to read through those, but I do want to make mention of another thing that we see in our world that is growing. I'm sure that you're not surprised, but the percentage of the population that's identifying as LGBT or non-heterosexual has increased especially in the millennial and Gen Z age groups. From 2012 to 2015, between about 35 and 3.9% of U.S. adults identified as LGBT, and in 2022, 7.1% of U.S. adults identified as LGBT or non-heterosexual. So over about a 10-year period, that number has doubled. If you just look at the Gen Z population, which is the population... That's the young adults today, more than one in five or 21% identify as LGBT. Now let's take just a couple of minutes to talk about church. As I already mentioned, in the U.S. from 1990 to 2019, we saw a 20% decline in the number of people that identified themselves as Christians. And not surprising, we've seen a significant decline in church membership over the years, especially in the last two decades. In 1937, 73% of the population were members of a church. In 1999, that number had declined to 70%, from 73% to 70%. A change, but not a drastic change. But that number had significantly declined by 2020 to 47%. And we're not even talking specifically about church membership in sound churches. That's overall church membership. I don't have any numbers, but I think you guys would probably agree uh, that the attendance and church membership in doctrinally sound churches had likely dropped uh, uh, even more so compared to Modern, feel-good, prosperity gospel churches. We've seen a decline in Christianity. We've seen a decline in church membership. And I believe those and the sins that we discussed caused the breakdown of our families within the United States and within the world. But despite this grim news, there's hope. The Lord promises restoration for those that turn to Him. The Lord promises restoration for His people that have fallen away. And I truly believe that this same restoration can occur within our homes if we will turn our homes over to Him if we will begin to rebuild our homes on the solid foundation of Jesus 
and look to the Lord and His Word as our model for relationships, for marriage, for parenting, and for how to manage our homes and live our lives. No matter how far we have strayed or turned from Him, He will help us rebuild on solid ground if we truly place our lives and our homes in His hands. He can save an unrighteous sinner, and I believe that He can restore our marriages and our families. The third chapter of Hosea talks about redemption. It says, Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for fifteen pieces of silver, and for an homer of barley, and an homer and half a homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days, Thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man, so will I also be for thee. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, and without a prince, and without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without a teraphim. Right? There's that punishment. And afterward shall the children of Israel return, and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. As I close, I want to read a favorite scripture from Brother Rollin Bacon. 2 Chronicles 7 and 14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. This is the promise that the Lord made to Israel. But I believe that this promise is still relevant today. For those of us that have been saved by the grace of God, He has redeemed us from our sins and will restore that fellowship and will restore our homes, will restore our churches. If we will confess our sin, turn from our sin, and turn to Him and seek that restoration from Him. The the Lord's arm is not short today we will all live with a mantra from Joshua 24 and 15. It says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 